Hello, True Stories of Good People listeners. Your host, Kelsey Little here. Just a quick note before we dive into today's story. If you haven't had the chance yet, it would mean the world to us if you could go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave our show a rating and review. Five stars would be amazing. It just takes a few seconds and you have no idea how much this helps us out. We'd be so grateful. If there are any other podcasts you love, I guarantee you'll make their day too by doing the same thing. Thank you so much for being a listener and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hello, and welcome to another episode of True Stories of Good People, a GoFundMe Heroes production. I am your host, Kelsey Little. In each episode of this podcast, we sit down with someone who's making a difference in other people's lives, or who has had their life changed by someone kind. Dr. Quan Stewart has been a veterinarian for over 20 years. After spending an afternoon offering medical care to the pets of people experiencing homelessness in his area, he learned an important lesson. These animals provide more than just companionship to their owners. They also offer love, hope, and security. What Dr. Kwan initially thought would be a one-off experience has turned into a nine-year mission to help four-legged pets across Southern California and beyond. Meet our GoFundMe Hero of the Month for February 2020, Dr. Kwan Stewart. Hello from San Diego, California. I'm so excited to be here today with our GoFundMe Hero of the Month for February 2020, Dr. Quan Stewart. Quan, thank you so much for being here today. Yes, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, it's not often that I get to interview a fellow San Diegan, so this is very cool for me. All right. How long have you lived in San Diego? Off and on, I came here and started my first job out of vet school in 1997. Oh, cool. So I've bounced around California. been in California since, but... Yeah, off and on for years. Nice. Um, what's your favorite thing about our fair city? Do you have any like typical San Diego hobbies? Well, you know, the thing about San Diego, and when I hear about people living in Chicago like <laughs> now, yeah, I just think, how do you – if you <laughs> spent a week here, you know, it, it, it feels like paradise. Yeah. It feels like you're on vacation in San Diego most days. Yeah. You can do something outside almost every day. Yes. I mean, it doesn't rain much. The weather is – you know, the climate is great and I do, you know, I'm outdoorsy. So I, yeah. I ride bikes and exercise. And so it's, to me, it's paradise. Yes, I agree. It was, um, I think the first day of February, the other day, it was 80 degrees outside. Yeah, you, it was magical. Yeah. It was yeah. Just a couple of days ago. I know you think, wow, this is, mm. <laughs> well, we're lucky. Yeah. It, it almost makes the, um, housing costs worth it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, almost. <laughs> almost. <laughs> Um, well, so before we dive into your incredible work that we're here to talk about today, I'd love to get to know a little bit more about you. Mm -hmm. What would you say your life is like in in a nutshell? My life is fortunate. And, um, you know, I, you hear that old cliche that if you, you're doing something you love, you don't work a day in your life. And I believe that more and more as I get older. Yeah. That I... I found the right job for me. I found the perfect fit for me. And I know we'll get into all that. And I just, most days I don't feel like I'm working. I feel like I'm just doing a hobby, right? Doing something you enjoy. So, I mean, how could I be luckier? I love that. I I totally agree with that. Um, So that's a good segue. So you've been a veterinarian for over 20 years. Um, What drew you to that profession in the first place? Um, As a child, my 
mother was a huge animal lover, and we had animals around for a while. She had a working cattle ranch. Wow. Um, you know, dogs, chickens, cats. There were just always animals around. Nice. And uh, horses. So I, I just, you know, there's you, you just gravitate towards towards animals when they're around you yeah. a lot. And, I mean, there was – so I'll tell you something. People ask me questions a lot as a vet. Yeah. And, you know, my neighbors, friends, <laughs> friends of friends. I'll have friends of friends five down the line who will ask <laughs> – Ask this person, ask if I can ask Quan's friend if I can ask Quan a question about my dog. Yeah. So it's just the nature of being a vet, right? right? Everyone has questions. And you can play Google vet, but as we know, when you do that, everything has cancer at the end yeah. or it's going to die, yes. right? It's terrible. Yeah. So you need clarification, right? So um, no, I'm, I help out friends a lot with questions, but the question I get asked the most is, and these are by clients, um, why did you want to be a vet? Yeah. Wow. Um, and... For me, there was one, there were two inspiring moments in particular. There was a movie I saw with my mother when I was seven. And I'll let you try and guess the movie in a second, unless you already know the answer. No, no, I would need to think. (laughs) But I'll give you some hints. So I I was seven years old, so this would have been mid to late 70s. And um, it was about a beautiful, majestic black horse. Oh, yeah. And a boy. And I sat there starry-eyed through that whole film. Yeah. And that's hard to do when you're seven, right? Yeah. And I laughed and I cried and I was just glued. And when I walked out, I was holding her hand and I looked up at her and I said, when I grow up, I want to be an, an animal doctor. I didn't know what a veterinarian was called at well. the time. So I said, animal doctor. And and she said from that point, that's that was just my you know, primary genuine interest. Wow. And it was just that movie meant that relationship between that boy and that horse you know, I think about it today. I'll start to get choked up. It it uh, it just really hit me. Oh. I guess so. Any guesses? Black Beauty. Black Stallion. Black Stallion. Yeah. Oh wow. So Black Stallion was about a uh, a black horse that gets trapped on an island with a boy after a shipwreck. Wow. And they befriend each other, and the horse sort of looks after and saves the boy, even though it was sort of wild. And he takes the horse back with him, and it becomes a racing horse. Wow. And he, anyways, it's still today one of the best movies you can watch. No CGI, just legit, straight yes. up, great movie. I've never seen that. I need yeah. to watch it. Watch it, and you'll you'll cry and you'll laugh. It was oh my great. gosh! So um, so that moment, and then there was another. I was about the same age. We were living in Texas at the time, and there was a golden retriever that was running around the neighborhood, and he was injured. He had looked like his ear had been tore, or ripped, maybe as, in a fight, and I could tell it was bleeding, and he was in pain, and I. I remember telling my mom I want to find that dog. I just see it pass by yeah. every once in a while. I wanted to find that dog and help it. And I went to sleep at night, you know, upset that I couldn't find and help that dog. So those moments for me were were the kickoff. Wow. Yeah, the jumping off point. I love those stories. Um, I'm a huge animal lover as well. I have a dog. I'm very appreciative of my veterinarian and just anyone else who, you know, understands how magical animals are and um every all the gifts that they give to us what how would you describe that feeling for you what is it about animals specifically you know you you hear this a lot animals you know they don't judge they um they love unconditionally um they're always there for you you know to to a to a pet owner that owner looking the pet looking at you you are their universe yeah. right you are everything to them they rely on you um for comfort and uh, basic care and need and I, I don't know it's just uh you know if 
for those who've never owned a pet, it's sort of hard to describe. It's like someone who hasn't had a child yeah. and describing what, what a child means to you. Yeah. And the instinct you have around protecting the child. And and if you but once you have a dog that you love or a cat or a pet that yeah. you care for, you get it, right? Yeah. You you understand it, what what these animals mean to you. And again, I know we'll get into this, but the homeless relationship and bond is on a totally different level. Yeah. It's on a much higher plane yeah. than the average pet owner, which I was blown away by. I didn't, you know, really understand it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's that almost made me tear up. You just saying like you're your animal's whole world. It's so true. I just thought of my dog right away, and I just saw him like an hour ago. Now I'm missing. Yeah, because they, you leave to go to work, and for eight, ten hours, they're just there waiting for you. Yeah. Right? They're like, look, they're peeling away the curtain. When is mom <laughs> coming home? When is dad coming home? And they're just <sighs> waiting. And uh, so, yeah, I, um, I I think we take that for granted. Yeah. But if you if you could be them for a day and just look through their lens, you would see, like, we are everything to yeah. them. And to many of us, you know, they're they're everything to us, it, especially, again, to some of the homeless folks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that is another great segue. So the amazing story that we're here to talk about today, um, having been a veterinarian for so long, you decided to use your skills to make a difference for those who really need it. Um, why are you known as the street vet? What does that mean? Um, I guess that was a label that uh, we attached or was attached to me when I started uh, walking the streets and finding homeless people with pets and treating their pets. Wow. And that's it's that simple. Um, I it was a, a an idea I got years ago. I think going on maybe nine years now, uh, where I decided to set up a table, just a flat table, near a homeless food shelter. Um, or food banks. So they'd stand in line for lunch. Yeah. And um, I knew if I set up a table that anyone with a pet, and estimates say, so you know, about one in four own a pet. One in four homeless people wow. own a pet. I so didn't know that. 20 to 25% of our homeless population own a pet, a cat or a dog. Most of them are dogs. And I knew if I just set up the table, I could, you know, grab a small group of pets and yeah. help them. And, and that's what I did. So I, I brought along my girlfriend and my son, who was young at the time, 10 or 11. And he's big now. He's 19 and in college wow. and 6'5 and taller than me. Oh my and, gosh. But he was just a little boy at the time. And I wanted him to experience that. And we sat at the, we sat at the table and then I just called over anyone who was holding their pet or you know, their pet leash next to him. I said, come on over. I'm a veterinarian. I'll um, take a look and vaccinate or treat any ailments if I can. And um, and they did, and it was I don't know at the time maybe fourteen, fifteen yeah. came over, and it was just it was the most rewarding moment for me, and and I saw the look on, in my son's eyes and on his face, the expression, and he loved it, and wow. uh, and I loved it, so that sort of uh, evolved into doing it more, and then eventually I decided I'm just going to walk the streets, yeah, so I'm just going to take like a medical bag and go out and um, you know to areas where. You know, they don't have the wherewithal that we do uh, to find out where services are available. So I just said, I'm just going to walk under bridges or down an alley or, and I'll just find them. Wow. And that's what I did. What gave you, what did something happen that gave you the idea to start doing this in the first place? Um, I've given this a lot of thought. I don't know exactly where the spark came from. At the time, I was living in central California in Modesto. Okay. And Modesto was hit really, really hard by the recession, harder than most cities wow. in the country. It was just one of those ground zero kind of cities. Mm. And 
um, you know, the economically just wiped out so many people. They were building homes, and that just looked like a ghost town all of a sudden in those yeah. areas. A lot of cities like that, but really bad there. And people didn't have, you know, economically when you're struggling to care for yourself, well, then your pets are going to suffer too. So a lot of people started dumping their pets at the shelter, and oh. I was a shelter vet. Oh, wow. I was a county veterinarian at the time, and county veterinarian is just a glorified term for a shelter vet. So I'm doing spays and neuters, you know, 40, 50 spays and neuters a day, unfortunately euthanizing a lot of pets yeah. a day, and just running the services that are administered by the county shelter. Yeah. So that was my job. But we just had a huge influx of more and more pets, right? Oh, my gosh. And I thought, well... So there's an, I knew there was a need out there at the time, right? I'd identified a need, and I thought, well, I'm going to just go out in the community and see if I can help. Yeah. M- maybe giving some help to some of these people will allow them to hold on to their pet yeah. rather than having to relinquish them because they couldn't afford medical care. Yeah. So I think that's where the original idea came from. Um, so that day you took the table out, um, did you have in your mind that this was going to turn into a regular thing or what made you go from doing it once to then doing it for nine more years? No, it felt like a one-off. Really? Yeah, actually. Yeah. To be honest, I just thought, let me try this and see. I I didn't know how it would go. Um, You know, I paid for the the meds out of my own pocket and medicines can get expensive depending on how many animals you're treating. So I just thought, let me just try it once. And, but then I don't know, it, as it goes, when you give back, there is something that you get in return that feels much larger, yeah. right? It's it's just the nature of it. I don't I don't I can't explain it. Yeah. But um, it was a feeling that I had that I wanted to do it again. You know, you kind of become addicted to it, maybe yeah. a little bit, right? You've probably heard that. And so I said, well, I'll do it again, and I'll do it again. I didn't really have a plan <laughs> or a schedule. I just started doing it. Wow. Yeah. How, so now, fast forward to today, how often do you actually do this? Well, I, I still have a day job because yes. <laughs> it doesn't support me. Um, so it's just when I have a little free time, I do carry the the bag, my medical bag, in my car. Oh, really? So um, if I'm driving somewhere on a street corner and I see something, I can jump out or ask a question. Wow. And so it's really random. Yeah. Um, I don't. Again, I don't have a set schedule. It's when I have free time or I hear that. Now that I've sort of developed a. Um, a log of people that I've helped, now they'll tell others, right? They yeah. may tell another homeless person, hey, you can reach out to this guy. And yeah. So sometimes they'll get requests or calls. And Wow. Yeah. Wow. So I believe you do this work both in San Diego and Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, have you done in any other cities as well? Or are you planning to? So, um, yes, I have done other cities. And um, more by accident, I guess, because the – this whole thing turned into a television show. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm sure we were going to get to that, but uh, uh, maybe to jump ahead. I So at the time, my day job was, and my day job was the coolest job in the world, still is, when I talk about not working a day in my life. So I left the shelter about seven years ago, and I just dropped my name in the hat as uh, an applicant for this job. This job happened to be um, working on movie sets wow. as a vet, but on a, on a big scale. So, so there, cool. there is a, um, there is a program called no animals were harmed. So if you sit at the end of a movie, if you're watching an animal movie <laughs> or there's animals in a movie yeah. and you wait to the very end when the credits are coming 
and you wait to the end of the credits, <laughs> <laughs> there is a, a logo yeah. that'll say no animals were harmed oh, wow. during the making of this movie. That's the phrase people are familiar with. So that is a 75-year legacy program wow. that's been in Hollywood, really worldwide, that sends safety reps on these film sets. They watch the care of the animals, make sure that um, they're following best practices and safety measures, um, not trying to do these over-the-top stunts. Keep in mind, yeah. directors have wild visions, right, when they're making their movie. They want the horses to do this and oh the dog God. to do that. And so there has to be a voice there on behalf of the animal to say, eh, that's a little much. Wow. And that's what these people, that's what my people did. So I ran this company, more or less, for seven years. Oh, my gosh. And it was, I was the one who was checking off on whether they earned the certification. Yeah. So whether the movie earned it, they did enough to keep the animal safe and they would get it or not. And this goes for television shows and commercials. So the, you know, the Budweiser commercials yeah. you see during the Super Bowl, for example, those, my people are there to make sure those, those animals are treated well. Those reports come to me and I say, yes, and I stamp it and off it goes. So that was my job. That's so cool. Yeah. The coolest job. Right. And, um, so, so yeah, that landed me in Hollywood. Nice. Right. And I didn't, I wasn't, a Hollywood guy. I didn't know much about it. I love movies. It was a movie buff. But then to find myself in Hollywood as sort of the Hollywood vet yeah. doing this job was very neat. Um, but what I'm getting at is that intersection pulled me into the show. I was yes. doing the work separately as a hobby that I loved, helping the homeless. Yeah. And then over here as my day job, I was you know, running this this program, this company. And then a producer heard about what I did and said, that, man, that's cool. That's a show. That's amazing. <laughs> it turned into a show. So... It's a show that's uh, airing in about 30 countries. Not here, unfortunately. So people, oh, really? People, yeah, my own people here, I have families, so far they can't see my own show. Oh, my gosh. But it's in Europe and Canada and China. Wow. And it's called The Street Vet. And it's just a simple format. I walk the streets. I sit down with people. I treat their animals. And while I'm doing that, I, I grab these amazing stories from the homeless people. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes the treatment is really involved and need you know there's a surgery required are we going to save the animal or are we not wow. and so there's a little intensity to it yeah and and so yeah that um that show um was yeah it was it just turned it just morphed into what it morphed into and yeah. it, was, it was really cool that's amazing is it was it um kind of like a short run thing where you are, you are you still filming it or no we filmed it um oh and that brings me to your question yeah so we filmed it going back a year and a half ago and i'm only licensed as a vet in california yeah so um and that's how any licensure works okay so you know i i take my boards when i graduate vet school and then you take licenses in specific cities so i i got licensed in california so I'm technically only able to treat animals here in California. Okay, gotcha. So the show took place throughout California, all the major cities. So San Diego, L.A., San Francisco, Sacramento, nice. um, all the major urban areas yeah. that, that have big homeless populations. So, yeah, I've been to all those cities. Okay. But because I live and work in L.A. and San Diego, that's primarily where I do just my – when I go out to do my work by myself. Okay. It's, it's in these cities. Why can't it air in California or in the U.S.? Well, um, I don't know. Tell Netflix or <laughs> – you know, it would be it, such a good Netflix show. Yeah, it's being shopped, and um, it'll it'll land somewhere, wow. I'm sure, at some point. Oh, my gosh. That's not um, you know, a daily thing I'm grinding out. I, if, if it finds a home here, it does. But yeah. um, I was just surprised it even did what it did. It, you yeah. know, it's, it's pretty remarkable. That is remarkable. Wow. I Netflix would be really dumb to turn that down. <laughs> well, the funny thing is I sort of work for Netflix now. Oh, you do? Yeah. <laughs> and for the, and the animal organization? Yeah. That's so cool. Well, I am... Um, 
so I left American Humane, which owns the No Animals Were Harm program, in August. And I decided to start doing consulting work. Nice. So I consult That's to um, studios that have animals in their projects. And yeah. Netflix, obviously, they pour out a lot of content. Yeah. They do a lot of animal work. And uh, they reached out. And um, so, yeah, it uh, and it's great. It's great working for them. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I just I help uh, enforce best practices on their film sets and yeah, so how right cool right? I'm yeah. a veterinarian that works in Hollywood and oh works my on gosh. film sets, and I, you know, Netflix and other studios. It's it's a dream for Th- me. I was just gonna say this is like a dream job that I never knew that was also <laughs> mine. It's like too late to have. Wow, that's so cool. Um, so so back to your when you do your outreaches, mm-hmm. I'd love to know just more about how that goes. Um, are the interactions you have with people always? different like what are your conversations like yeah you, you might be surprised to learn that not everybody is welcoming hmm. when i when i approach them or yeah. they see me coming you, it's important to remember that a lot of homeless people are still um you know they're marginalized yeah and they're considered by many as sort of second-rate citizens yeah um and you know if i'm being honest with you i was you know, guilty of some of those judgments myself before doing this work. I think we see him on a street corner and, you know, our first thought is you look able-bodied, you know, you can stand here for six hours holding a sign. Why can't you get a job? Yeah. Right. But it's not that simple. Right. I've learned. Yeah. Um, it, it's like once you get behind the, the tidal wave, it just keeps pushing you down lower and lower. And something as simple as, uh, losing your job can lead to bad credit, and then yeah. once you have bad credit, you can't get an apartment because you're twentieth in line, you know, with your five hundred credit score, and yeah. someone else has six fifty in their first. And you just be amazed at how the little, um, you know, these unfortunate negative moments snowball into something much bigger, and you find yourself on the street. Yeah. I say that because um, I've looked at some of these people who have degrees, master's degrees, for example, and thought, you know, I could be you. Yeah. I could end up where you are. So the conversations, they they range, right? And going back to what I was saying, I approach them and sometimes they think that I'm there to hurt them or maybe get them to pack up their stuff. Yeah. Or yell at them or criticize them. And so they're reticent, some of them, you know, Um they, they they shy away, they they lean away. It's one thing if they're holding a sign and you go up, they think, oh, this person's giving me money. But yeah. if they're if they're in their little corner, right, with their things, right. and you walk directly up to them, they yeah. don't know why you're coming. Exactly. So I walk very slowly, and then I sort of announce myself. I let them know I'm a veterinarian. I see you have a pet, and I just I walk the community looking for people whose pets need help. Yeah. Would you mind if I take a look? Wow. And usually that kicks the door open. And yeah. I give the attention to the pet. Um, and kneel and and basically just start doing an exam like I would in the clinic. Yeah. And my stethoscope and my otoscope, I look in the ears and I just, uh, I give a once over the dog. And then as I'm doing that, yes, this relationship almost um, in fast motion begins to develop. Yeah. Right. They, they ask me, so why do you do this? And then I may ask them, you know, how long have you been on the streets yeah. or what led you here? And then a lot of times, I, yeah, I will retrieve these really neat stories. I bet. Yeah. I, w- I definitely want to hear some of these stories. Um, 
I'm curious about the interactions, though, about the animal side. How do the animals respond to you? Are they trusting at first, or does it take a while, or it varies? It varies. Mixed bag, yeah. So some of these, and I'd say fewer than most of the pets are um, maybe a little aggressive or very protective yeah. of their owner. Most of the pets, though, just like any pet, again, in my hospital, will allow me to go up and touch them. And, yeah. But some of these people have these pets for protection. I, I am amazed at how many homeless people steal from other homeless people or just normal people will steal from homeless people. You yeah. know, they have their car to stuff. And sometimes there's stuff of decent value, maybe a bicycle or, yeah. you know, random things. And they have to sleep at night like everybody else does. Right. And they'll wake up in the morning and sometimes half their stuff is gone or their cart is gone. Wow. So sometimes they'll, they'll get a dog for protection or just to alert them when someone gets close, just to bark enough, we'll wake them up and they'll, you know, they'll peek out their tent yeah. or their tarp. Um, but yeah, most of the pets will allow me to come up and, you know, it's just like, to me, they're just like any other client of yeah. mine. I just, you know, start doing my thing and we start talking <laughs> and it, I know it looks weird. I'm out, you know, by a traffic light <laughs> doing this, but it, you know, for that moment, that's my clinic. What kinds of things are you able to do for the pets um, right there on the street? Is it different from what you'd be able to do like in the clinic or what kinds of services are you able to provide? It's basic um, medical care. Yeah. Um, we see a lot of dogs with ear infections. Ear infections are common because allergies are common in California. Um, so secondary to allergic skin, you know, a lot of scratching and itching. Yeah. I mean, a lot of dogs have that problem. Ears become infected. Yeah. Uh, so cleaning the ears can provide a lot of relief, um, treating fleas. We have, you know, flea issue here. Yeah. So most pets are on some sort of flea control. So getting rid of the fleas, um, alleviating the itching. Some of these dogs have things like overgrown toenails. So they're walking on, oh, yeah. you know, and it starts to hurt their pads and their feet and all the way up to their shoulders. Oh. So, uh, trimming the nails and then older dogs have arthritis. So giving something for arthritis or if I notice a skin infection, I can give it an injection or I can I can give a prescription of medication of pills just like I would any other wow. client. And so it's a pretty wide range of very common issues. Yeah. For anything more intense, um, requiring a procedure, for mm -hmm. example, that you know, that we need to get into the hospital if I need to administer sedation or anesthesia. So does it ever come to that point where you have to take the animal into the animal hospital? Yeah, we have. Really? I have, sure. How does how does that work? Like, um, yeah, how does that, how does that work, you know, financially? And then you, you got to take the dog back afterward. Like, how does that yeah. Go? So in a, in a, in a couple of instances, I've transported the, um, the person, the pet to, to the hospital and wow. done the treatment and, and back. Um, but they, um, you know, it's funny when they're, when they're homeless, they really find a way to sort of navigate this other world. Right. Um, transportation and food and so you know taking the bus and yeah you'd be surprised so if I say can you get to this place at this time yeah. if it's important enough to them they'll get there yeah. and so I'll, I'll meet them there and um, all the work is pro bono so I partnered with a really great hospital in LA called Beverly Oaks Animal Hospital oh, wow. I know the vet well and so she will allow me to, to use a hospital I do shifts there as well I do emergency work wow. to keep my skills sharp so yeah um, so yeah, it's a great relationship we have, and so she'll allow me to bring in um, some of these pets, and if they require more uh, invasive procedures, we'll do them there. And um, yeah, I've 
We've taken a number of pets there. It's incredible. You've been doing this work for so long, so it's just like what you do. But um, I can't imagine what that means to all those those pet owners. It's really, it's just beautiful. It's amazing. Yeah, it it touches you. It. um, Oh yeah, I've had my moments. (laughs) I I I try and hide it sometimes, but I can't. Um, Yeah, it, uh, it. It's hard. That moment when I they get their pet yeah. um, back, especially after like a, a surgery or a procedure, um, a life-saving one, for example. Uh, the, the, what you see on their face, it's a moment that lasts forever wow. to me. You know, it. Um, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I'm not going to do my Oprah moment here, Kelsey. I, I do. I, I tear up and, um, uh, yeah, it just you would take that with you for a long time. There's a saying that I like that it, um, my roommate in college told me. This is going back to vet school. Uh, so 20-plus years ago, he said, no one will ever touch you so lightly. They won't leave a trace. And, you know, I, I love that saying for a couple of reasons. One, it's a good reminder that we need to take inventory of who's around us because they do have an impression on us, yeah. especially our kids. I mean, when they're running with certain, you know, kids, other kids and groups – but two, that, you know, yeah, you think you just maybe have a brief, you know, moment with someone a few minutes, but that can imprint on you for a lifetime. Yeah. Something that they say or do. Um, and yeah, I, I've gotten a lot more from them, I feel like, than they've gotten from me. Wow. I love that. So, so that, that's great that the procedures are pro bono. However, this costs you money, you know, um, and you know all the all this uh, the stuff in your kit and and um, the the necessary things required to do this work. So uh, I found your story obviously because you started a GoFundMe campaign um, recently to help cover some of the more extreme costs, um, and you've received some great support there so far. What is it? What has it been like, kind of allowing other people to get involved in this work that you're doing? Yeah, I I am um, blown away by you know the support and and people who have donated. So thank you to everyone who's you know ten dollars five. It doesn't matter. It it all goes towards the animals and it all helps. Um, so yeah, you you feel humbled when you start a cause and people actually want to support it, and they do with their interest and their money and their good wishes and their thoughts. It, all of it is necessary. I, you know, it's not just the money, but it's people reaching out and saying, thank you. Yeah. You know, so I, I love it all. And, um, so yes, thank you to GoFundMe. I, um, you know, my brother has been a big part of this. So I want to thank my brother, Ian, um, helping organize and, you know, helping grab the stories. And he was really the one who did the show. Oh, wow. He, he works in, um, production more or less he's in albuquerque uh and so he has a an editing and filming background so he put the crew together it was a really small crew like a family nice and we just bounced around to these cities and he did the filming and the editing and you know it turned into what it turned into and uh so yeah it's um i you know it's just really me right now it's i'm a one-man band um and i know i'm not really changing the world it's one-on-one a lot of the time but i i want the message to grow yeah. and 
Um, I would like others to know more than anything that these homeless people are people, yeah. right? They, they really aren't a whole lot different than a lot of us. We think, you know, when we see them that maybe they're, you know, they're all mentally ill or they're all drug users or they just made really poor decisions. And so that's on you, but it's not that simple. Yeah. You know, the, they've just had moments in their life that didn't work out. And, um, so yeah, I, I, I I want to humanize them a little more yeah. than they've been, and they've certainly taught me a lot. And um, so, yeah, I it it really is a neat thing. And, um, and yeah, you're right; it, it does take money, and it's been out of my own pocket to this point. And um, fortunately, I I have a good life as a vet, right? I I'm comfortable, and so I I can do this. Um, <laughs> you might be people ask me, so why did again going back to the vet thing because. The fork in the road for a lot of vets is either a vet or a physician. Okay. Right? You, you love medicine. You want to help. Um, but there's something, and I don't want to say physicians aren't special, but there is sort of a special, there's something unique about going into the animal field yeah. that draws you there. And it's not money or prestige because I think that's part of the draw for being a doctor. Yeah. Right? You know you're going to have a very comfortable life. Definitely. It carries um, a pretty high prestige here in America. It's not like that in all countries, but definitely here. Yeah. You know, I want your kid to grow up to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, and no, we make probably a third of what they make. Wow. And I'm still paying off my student loans, oh surprisingly, <laughs> for 22 years. Again, I, I, I'm not complaining. I have a great life. But um, my best friend's an ER doc. And, you know, yeah, he makes he makes a lot more than I do. Yeah. And his student loans are long gone. And but you know what? He doesn't love what he does as much as I do, yeah. I don't think. When we talk about our stories, his sound more like, he's like, man, I just, you know, it's the the litigation, liability, the insurance, oh, yeah. the complaints he gets. And it just sounds like he's been beat down by his job and he wants yeah. to retire soon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Me, I can do this, you know, yeah, I can do this, you know, the whole dying with your boots on. It, yeah. it doesn't feel like work. So I can do this as long as I'm healthy. Wow. You know, my 70s are longer. You know, I love it. That's yeah. I was thinking, um, like a doctor has the prestige, but a vet is like every kid's dream, you know, and that's what you got to do. And yeah. that's there's something special about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious if anyone has looked at this work that you're doing and has like a viewpoint that homelessness itself is such a big issue. Like, why focus on animals? What would you say to someone who thinks that? Um, I would. I would agree that homelessness in general needs the focus. We need to attack this problem, right? How do we get these people off the streets? Um, Not temporarily, but permanently or or semi-permanently. Or give them a chance to start their life anew, right? Get them back on their feet. Um, So, no, I I wouldn't disagree with someone who says that. I would just say back to them, I'm a vet, and the one place that I'm able to help is here, Yeah. right? I can help their pets. And... Their pets, and Kelsey, this is the thing, their pets are every bit as much um, a support system to them as maybe the medication they're on for, you know, let's say they have a mental illness or their therapy sessions with their doctor or, you know, all the other services and support that they get. Their pet is every much of that or more. Yeah. And, you know, you can't put your finger on exactly why sometimes, but... I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard from these people. It's their reason for getting up in the morning. Wow. You know, they 
they have this responsibility. They have this thing that depends on them and loves them. And, you know, inside spiritually, when, when there's whatever that energy thing is that, that just picks us up in moments we feel like staying down, that's what their pet does for a lot of them. Yeah. So for people that discount the, the whole ideal of ownership by a homeless person, that's my message to them. Yeah. Is they don't see the relationship and the importance of this pet to their survival, really. Yeah. I mean, psychologically um, to them, that's what these pets do. So no, they're not in the best position to provide. And I get that. But as far as keeping them going um, and, and keeping them hopeful, that pet is every bit of that and more. Wow. So you mentioned before that I, I can't even imagine how many stories that you've heard and kind of float around in your mind when you think of like moments during this um, work that have really stuck with you. But I would love if maybe you could share one of them with us that's really touched your heart. Um, yeah, let me see. One that hopefully will keep me from <laughs> quivering my lip too much. Uh, yeah, there are a bunch. I So here in San Diego, since we're here, I, um, <clears throat> I met a man... His name was Mike, and he had a little um, dachshund, little cute dachshund. I have a dachshund. You have a dachshund? Yeah. Oh, boy. All right. <laughs> Get the tissues. Oh, no. Here we go. Um, her name was Crazy Girl, and silky smooth coat. He took great care of this dog. Um, he'd been homeless for a couple years. He'd come out to California from Colorado because the medical care system was better. And I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. But Crazy Girl... He called her Cray Cray. And he was an older guy. Uh, just to see, so you have a picture of Mike. He was probably mid-50s, but he looked older because he was sick. Um, thin, um, sort of like a beard or goatee, but he had like a really nice smile. And he was a cheery guy. And he had his cart and he had his dog. That was his whole life now, right? And um, Crazy Girl had an eye condition. She was blind oh. and she'd been going blind but when i when i met him and her and did the exam i noted that she was completely blind wow. she had no vision at all and you know she would always stay close to him she would follow him and she could <laughs> almost sense him like his heat or his yeah. you know the sound of his shoes or the cart and she just would even off leash could stay wow right by him <clears throat> and you know we sat down and I, I did the exam and he said well is she completely blind i said yes and he said can we fix it I said, I don't have the equipment to do a complete ophthalmic exam on Crazy Girl, um, but I can probably get you to someone who could. So we have specialists in our field, just like physicians. We have ophthalmologists and um, oncologists and surgeons and internists. So I knew uh, an ophthalmologist here in San Diego. And I said, well, we'll get Crazy Girl to her and we'll figure out what exactly the diagnosis is and if we can save it. Yeah. And he said in that moment... Um, he said, I didn't, I wasn't going to share this, but I have colon cancer. Oh my gosh. And I've been, um, he said, I've been, you know, um, trying to treat this condition now for a couple of years. I've been dying of colon cancer. Oh my gosh. But I'm okay now in the moment. I'm getting by. Um, but he said, more than anything, I just want her to have vision. He said, if, um, I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> he said, if, if you can just cure her, um, you know, I'd be fine to keep the cancer. So 
so yeah, I um, we got Crazy Girl to the vet to the um, to the specialist, and uh, she she had uh, advanced glaucoma, mm. so it wasn't treatable. We couldn't. We were unable to restore vision. Wow. It was permanent. Um, you know, glaucoma is a condition though that is painful. Um, we obviously see it in people. It's, yeah. it's very similar in pets. It it's basically pressure in the eye that builds, and as the pressure in this um, closed system, more or less closed system builds, it destroys the tissues and you know cells that provide sight. Yeah. So the bad news was no, we couldn't restore vision, but we could alleviate some of the discomfort and pain she was in. And you know, <clears throat> obviously for him it was disappointing, but he was still so grateful that one he knew what she was dealing with, yeah. and two we were able to stop the pain. And and for him that was that was enough. He said he just wants her to, you know, he didn't know she was in pain. And he said just knowing that she was you know uncomfortable all this time it breaks my heart but to know that she's she's better now is okay and and he said will you know in that moment he was very inspiring he said she's she's alive she's healthy and she, um you know we're partners for life and i'm just happy that you know she she can get around and she's not in pain and so yeah. um so yeah that that was a very touching story and um Mike checked in. So this is going back almost a year and a half ago. Mike checked in with me probably six months ago <clears throat> and let me know, let us, my brother and I know that the cancer had spread and he wasn't doing well. He'd moved out of California, but he just wanted to let us know that he was still very thankful and grateful for wow. for helping his little girl, his baby. And she was still with him. Wow. Yeah. You got me too. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. Um. Well, it seems like your your vet work um, with all of this is really, to me, it looked like it was ramping up lately. Or a lot, of, like more people are finding your story um, and being inspired by it. Are there are there any exciting things on the horizon that you're working on, or any ways that you plan to expand this or do more? Um, yeah. So, <clears throat> with the money, with the funds, I'm able to to. To expand the treatment range that I'm currently doing, um, because when you're meeting these people, <clears throat> as I said, <clears throat> excuse me. So when you're meeting these people, as I said, there's a cost to it, and basic care is doable for me. But it's the surgeries and the procedures yeah. that get to be a lot. Um, there was a a cat that we had treated surgically. It would, the cost was upwards ten thousand dollars wow. for the surgery. It um, had a broken femur, a broken leg. Um, he had torn his diaphragm, so he needed internal surgery. Oh, and by a specialist, by a surgeon, it was it was um, something beyond my abilities. Yeah. So we brought in a veterinary surgeon to do this and repair her diaphragm, his diaphragm, and the leg. And so, yeah, you can imagine some of those costs get high. And yeah. Sometimes I, I I guess I just it's hard when I have to tell them I can't do that right. or it's beyond what I can do. Yeah. And I can give them resources, but still, a lot of those vets, they're running their own businesses that support their family and their lives, and there's a cost to it. So not everyone can just give, you know, a $10,000 surgery for sure, free. Sure, sure. So, you know, in, in instances like that, those people usually have to just have their pet put down. Yeah. Right? As you can imagine. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't want to be able to – I don't want to have to turn away anybody if I yeah. can, obviously. That's, that, to me – is the place I want to be. Um, and if I can get 
encourage more veterinarians to do it. And that is a message I'll send. Um, you know, I, I don't want to put my colleagues on notice, but I do believe we all need to give back. Yeah, we have a responsibility as 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 veterinarians to sort of, um, you know, we've reached the top of the mountain and people <laughs> look to us for care and advice. Yeah. And if we can share that more, I think it means a lot. So. Yeah, I, I would like to see more of my colleagues just find a moment or a time or maybe just commit to doing one case a month pro bono, right, for, for somebody, maybe a homeless person or yeah. maybe somebody who can't afford it. And that generosity, it spreads and it helps fuel the world. It yeah. does the energy in the world. That would be that would be such a cool thing to come out of your work is to just inspire more pro bono work, you know, in the in the field, that's a really cool. Yeah, maybe a yeah. movement, maybe a small movement, and there are people that do it. Yeah. So there are veterinarians who are doing this work, and there's, um, you know, there's one called the Street Vet Coalition, I'm familiar with, that are doing it on a much bigger scale wow. and bringing in vets. So it, it's happening, and nice. it's a neat thing. Um, but if yeah, there's other veterinarians listening to this, or there's other people who want to find a way to help. Yeah, um, pet causes. Then then yeah, you have the power to do that. Um, you can volunteer to rescue. Uh, you can donate money or time in other ways, uh, or maybe donate some money to your veterinarian and say, "Hey, I, you know, if you pick up one pro bono case every so often, I want to fund some of that." Yeah, and that's a neat thing. Yeah, right. So, so yeah, it's if that can spread, if that message <laughs> can spread, then I would be elated. Thank you so much to Dr. Kwan for sharing his story with us today, and congratulations to him for being our Hero of the Month. If you'd like to support his mission, you can donate at GoFundMe.com heroes. Thank you so much for listening to True Stories of Good People, a GoFundMe Heroes production. If you were inspired by today's story, please help us out by heading over to iTunes and leaving us a rating or review and subscribing to the show. And if anyone you know loves inspiring stories, please share our podcast with them. It means the world to us. For more inspiring stories just like the one you heard today, please visit the GoFundMe Heroes hub at gofundme.com heroes. And be sure to subscribe to our mailing list so you can get heartwarming stories delivered straight to your inbox. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at GoFundMe Heroes. Also, we love to hear from listeners, so if you have any feedback, suggestions, or questions, you can write to us at podcast at gofundme.com. Special thanks to Studio West in San Diego, California, where this episode was recorded, and to our editing team at Cloud Studios in Seattle, Washington. We'll be back next time with more true stories of good people. Talk to you then! <laughs>